0: And welcome back. This weekend, it will be all things Scottish out near Spirit Airport in Chesterfield. The annual Scottish Games and Culture Festival is taking place Friday evening and Saturday. As organizers say, it will feature everything Scottish. When we think of the Europeans who came to St. Louis 150 years ago, we think of the Germans and the Irish. Well, the Scots came too, and there's a fairly sizable community still here. So let's learn more about it. Joining me in studio, Mark Sutherland is on the St. Louis Scottish Games board. Thomas Richardson is Communications Director for the Scottish St. Andrews Society of Greater St. Louis. Gentlemen, welcome. Great to have
1: you here. Thank you for having us.
2: Thank you.
0: How many Scotsmen and women do we have, Thomas, in St. Louis?
1: Well, in the St. Louis region itself, you can be anywhere from uh, a few dozen to a few hundred, but within the state of Missouri itself, there's, I would average, around about half a million folks who actually claim Scottish heritage in their lineage. So Scottish-Americans are alive and well in the state of Missouri.
0: And, Mark, uh, they came here a long time ago with a lot of other people. Has it been sort of a hidden community?
1: Um, Well, not really if
2: you're going to be out in Chesterfield this weekend. Uh, (laughs) We're going to be out there tossing things and making lots of noise with the bagpipes. Some people like that. Some people don't. Uh, You kind of judge for yourself. But no, over the over the centuries, uh, especially around the late 1700s, uh, mid-1700s, a lot of Scottish immigrants came over to the United States, uh, a lot of them actually via Ireland. So you had the Highland clearances early 1700s. They went to Northern Ireland, and then the potato famines caused the families to keep coming. So you hear a lot about Scots-Irish. That's where that comes from. And uh, they came to America and settled across the country and continue to uh, have rather uh, impactful uh, families here uh, across Missouri and across the U.S.
0: Thomas, maybe you can clarify something for me. I had always heard that um, many people from Scotland uh, located and migrated to the Ozarks and there's still very much a presence of the, the Scottish world there. Is that, is that right?
1: That's right. Absolutely. The Some of the greatest concentrations of Scots who moved westward via the Cumberland Gap in Kentucky, they a lot of them had pushed further out west uh, – Great, definitely beyond the colonial borders back in the mid-18th century. And so especially down in the Ozarks, there is a very strong uh, Scottish and Scots-Irish uh, community that has been headed there uh, over the years. And so, and not just within the Ozarks region, but also in the greater Midwest, there has been pockets of, uh, of Scots, and of course their subsequent Scottish-American uh, descendants who have kind of settled and either moved on from those areas, but of course they stayed in other ventures such as working in business and agriculture. So they became ingrained in that communities.
0: Yeah, Mark, I was about to ask what sort of contributions uh, the Scots have made to uh, to our society.
1: Well, I mean if
2: you look even back to the beginning of the United States, so um, the, the Declaration of Independence was very much – uh, stolen uh, from uh, the Declaration of our Arbroath, uh, which was Scotland's declaration of, of freedom and independence uh, hundreds and hundreds of years ago. So a lot of those principles uh, were were found in uh, uh, the founding documents of America. So uh, what kind of influence? I think from the very beginning, uh, the Scottish uh, love of independence, of freedom, of equality, uh, those are all seen in the founding of America. And they have built from from that point onwards.
0: Wasn't well, Alexander Graham Bell a Scot? Absolutely. Well, he had a pretty good contribution. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah just, just, just a little bit. Yeah. Uh,
2: there's there's been. Uh, I mean, there's kind of we make fun of the relationship between the Scottish and the English all the time. Um, but a lot of the things like you know movable newsprint and uh, the pneumatic tires, and, so Dunlop uh, was was Scottish, and the roads that are, are that are concave to where the water runs off that was a Scottish invention as well. Uh, we basically invented the modern world. Um, you've heard other people have claimed that, but no, it was it was the Scots. Don't
0: be so modest about it. That's yes, exactly.
1: <laughs> and to build on his point, actually, there's uh, uh, many of the founding fathers themselves actually had uh, tutors from Scotland in most of their early days and early education. Thomas Jefferson is one great example of having a string of tutors from Scotland who actually kind of shaped his uh, political ideology.
0: The Scottish clans, I think, are, are fairly well known to uh, to the American public, no aware of them in any case. Did the clan concept uh, continue when they came to America
1: so- Well, starting in the 1740s, and actually particularly after the Battle of Culloden in 1746, much of the uh, old um, Scottish and Highland uh, way of life, including things like the clan system, were broken up uh, following a series of laws. But then as more of these... Uh, Scottish immigrants moved towards North America and actually to larger parts of the world in Australia and New Zealand, a lot of these modern clan organizations that we see today started organizing in the late 19th and early 20th Mm -hmm. century as these – more like social and educational group as a way of educating a lot of these Scottish Americans about these clan organizations or clans that used to exist mm-hmm. um, prior to the 1700s. And so it's a way of not only learning about a history, but it's also a good social connection. It's a good social network.
2: And simultaneous to, to that happening in the US was Queen Victoria back in, in the United Kingdom. Uh, She had a very romantic view of the Scottish clan system and she was pretty much the driving force behind the the Tartans and the Tartans being assigned to various families. Mm -hmm. And so the impact of that growing in the United Kingdom and the US's infatuation basically with all things British – um, caused those elements to then rapidly appear in the United States.
0: What, what exactly are
2: the tartans? So each family has a – it's a plaid basically. Mm. Um, but uh, my my family, the Sutherland family and, and the, clan, the, the families that are under the Sutherland clan, uh, we have a particular color combination uh, that, we, that we wear and nobody else but our family is allowed to wear that. Um, you'll see very commonly the royal stewart tartan which is the very mm-hmm. commonly seen red and, and very strong red color to it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that can be worn by anybody. Um, but when you get to, especially if you come out to the games this weekend, you will see a variety of tartans. And for those that – and I can't claim to be this good. For those that know their tartans, they will know the last name of the person they're walking up to. Wow.
0: I understand there was an attempt and I'm not sure if it was successful or not to come up, uh, Thomas, with a Missouri tartan.
1: Yes, there was. There was a, uh, a bill port- bill poured forth last year to establish a Missouri state tart. And actually, I'll let Mark uh, go ahead and talk more about that.
2: Yeah, so um, really good support from uh, Representative Greyer um, out in Chesterfield and various other members of the Missouri House and Senate. Uh, it got all the way to its final vote in the Senate on the final day, the final hour of session, and didn't quite make it through. Uh, so we plan on uh, uh, of having that uh, bill reintroduced next year. Um, the Tartan has been designed. It was designed by a Missouri designer. The colors and the patterns uh, represent the various symbols of Missouri, from the bluebird to the, the the great bear and the seal. Uh, so there's a lot of uh, connections with the design to uh, the symbols that already exist in Missouri, and we hopefully will – get that to be official and recognized by Missouri this coming year.
0: How many different tartans would there be? I mean almost well, infinite.
1: Well, the number of tartans actually – tartans are, actually can be created at any time by anybody as long as they – sometimes they will have a specific uh, purpose or symbolism built into them. And So I know, you know Missouri working towards its state tartan but also I believe it's um, – many other United States uh, have their own uh, tartans as well they recognize and then within that, each of the armed services – in the US military have a tartan. There's actually a newer one that was called the World Peace Tartan that's actually designed to actually, you know, create this message of carrying world peace throughout. And so tartans themselves can be created for a specific purpose. They sometimes they have a, a strong, you know, symbolism and family affiliation behind it. And the tartans themselves were, you know, can be assembled that way.
0: One of the things I was was suggested that I would talk about is Ancestry was cer- certainly important to, to all groups, but uh, genealogy as well, that this is something that is of particular interest to to, to you and yours. I'll start with you, Mark. How, yeah. how so and why?
2: Well, I mean, it's, I think everybody <clears throat> wants to know where they come from. Um, it, it's part of our roots as a person, part of our identity. Um, one of the things that people will be able to do at the Scottish Games is meet with the ver- the various clans, have their tents, and you'll be able to go in and talk about genealogy, talk about family history. They'll be able to look up your surname, find out which part of Scotland uh, your your ancestors came from, which tartan, which which part. You know all the various symbols that go along with it, but. You know, I'm, I'm fascinated by it personally. I think a lot of people are. We've traced our ancestry back to the mid-1700s uh, on my mother's side in Edinburgh in Scotland and my father's side in the very north coast of Scotland, which was called the Sudolands, Sutherland, because um, the Vikings called it that because it was their uh, southern vacation properties. Turf, yeah. uh, but I think it's important to everybody. Um, and one of the fun things you get to do when you when you're tracing back your Scottish ancestry is there is so much more – Pomp and circumstance and, and pageantry uh, involved with the the clan system, and, and we're excited to be able to uh, expose people to that.
0: Thomas, I would think it would be difficult though to to learn, given the fact that you're here and the records aren't.
1: Well, a lot of that really depends on, like you said, the records themselves. As long as they're there and intact, it creates a a better trail that people can follow um, to understand where they come from and you know where they families are you know, originated. So, and actually this was part of the a research that I did as part as my master's thesis was tracing Scott's heritage in the Midwest. And so the genealogical aspect itself is probably the key point in how people trace their, their ancestry. You know, a lot of people, the big misconception that I'd come across was they think, well, my, I, my last name is McDonald. That must mean I'm Scottish. Like, well, you have to do the, the historical research behind it because sometimes the names can change generations, you know, whether or not you had that background. So for the person who really wants to dig deep into their uh, family history, they take that genealogical path, which is why when you come out to the games where you meet mm-hmm. a lot of these folks who share that knowledge, a lot of them are these, you know, big history busts, and they handle their family history as well.
2: And there are three types of people in the world. There are those of Scottish descent there are those who have born in Scotland and there are those that want to be Scottish. So Absolutely. Absolutely. we accommodate
1: all three. Well, you're
0: talking to an Irishman so let's,
2: we get <laughs> let's along be well. careful. We get along really well.
0: I guess so. <laughs> if it was part of your route to this country, it must have, been, uh, must have been getting along well. Okay, let's talk about the games. I'll turn to you, Mark, for this. An awful lot going on mm-hmm. and people might be surprised if they haven't seen uh, or been to any of these festivals, festivals before exactly what the, the sports are that you're going to be uh, conducting.
2: Yeah, so in Scottish Heavy Athletics, we we toss things. Um, so the most <laughs> famous thing is, is the caber, the tree. Uh, mm. So you will see that throughout the day on Saturday. Um, so you, you know it's, it's a huge, heavy tree, and they balance it and toss it, and hopefully they don't die. Uh, nobody's died yet, um, yeah. but you do have to go through a lot of training to be able to do it. In addition to throwing the tree, um, there's the, the hammer toss, which is actually where the modern, uh, the, the hammer toss you mm-hmm. see yeah. in the Olympics, Olympics yeah. that came from. There's <clears throat> stones for distance, um, and and weights for height. Um, a lot of you'll see the shot put. Basically, mm-hmm. it's where the shot put came from. Uh, and then there's sheaf tossing, which is a more of a, an American addition to Sheep tossing. Sheep? No, sheep to- that, that would an, <laughs> We should we should in- institute the sheep tossing event. No sheaf as in like a bale oh. of hay, basically. Uh-huh. Um, so will be they'll be tossing that. Um, so a lot of throwing things. Uh, very large uh, individuals, very muscular men and women. Um, at that point, anybody who's inclined to call a kill to skirt usually thinks twice mm-hmm. uh, because of the, the, <laughs> the size of these athletes. And then in, in addition to the athletics, we've got all sorts of music, uh, Celtic rock. We have a Celtic rock tent, the Lefroy Celtic lo- uh, rock tent. We have the Alex Sutherland Memorial folk music tent. Uh, so that's all the, the folk music, more of the easy listening uh, style music. Uh, and then bagpipes. Lots and lots of bagpipes, probably more than 100 bagpipers throughout the day. And at the end of the day at 4.30 on Saturday, uh, you'll see all of them on the field at the same time.
0: I'm not going to ask the obvious question about the kilts, but let's talk a little bit more (laughs) about what else is going on at the games, and that is what about food?
1: Well, there will be a traditional bill of fare along with uh, food trucks and other local restaurants other uh, local institutions and so. Mark, what else will there be? So the Scottish Arms,
2: um, so if everybody's probably familiar with them, they're in the central west end. They will be there and they'll serve the traditional haggis and brighties and and Scotch eggs, which are absolutely amazing. So hard-boiled egg, surrounded <laughs> in sausage, battered and deep-fried. It's it's just gorgeous.
0: No wonder they throw trees around <laughs> They're reading like
2: that. Just absolutely amazing. And there'll, be, there'll be normal stuff as well in case you, you're not you know wanting to try new things. People talk about haggis in a kind of, Mike Myers has a lot to answer for when it comes to haggis. Yes, uh, yes. Haggis does. is basically lamb sausage is all it is. So I have a variety of that. Schlafly does a special Scottish ale for the games, so that'll be uh, available throughout the day. Lafroy whiskey, Scotch whiskey. We'll be doing uh, tastings throughout the day, uh, and there'll be a variety of, of uh, American and uh, and uh, Scottish uh, delicacies for uh, for people to enjoy.
0: In and, and the time that we have left, I want to go back to the games themselves. Why? Where did all this throwing these heavy things around come from?
2: It comes from a couple of things. <clears throat> uh, so a lot of it was training for war. Um, so back then, the English would not allow uh, the Scots to train with weapons. For some reason, we kept rising up and uh, causing them problems. So we trained with stones and, and various other things. The the caber tossing didn't actually come from the war training. Uh, the caber tossing came from there's, – there's lots of theories, but the one that makes the most sense is from the logging industry mm-hmm. in Scotland where they used this maneuver to toss felled trees into the middle of the river to carry it downriver. And so that's where that came from. Um, So they just kind of became feats of strength um, as part of that, uh, part of culture. And that turned into a more organized uh, competitive sport.
0: And this has been going on for a long time. Hundreds and hundreds of
1: years. Oh, boy.
0: Are you going to be participating, Thomas, in any of these uh, tossing events?
1: Well, not in the actual uh, athletics themselves. I'll leave those to the uh, uh, ones (laughs) who've been doing them professionally. (laughs) But but I'll be there in the capacity with the uh, Scottish Senior Edger Society. Um, We'll be working out there um, both Friday and Saturday. And so – um, we've been uh, a, a longtime sponsor of the games and, we'll, of course, will continue to be uh, for many years.
0: Something to look forward to. Thanks to uh, Mark Sutherland for being with us, uh, the uh, St. Louis Scottish Games Board, Thomas Richardson, Communications Director for the Scottish St. Andrew Society of Greater St. Louis. Again, the Scottish Games and Culture Festival, Friday and Saturday adjacent to St. Louis, Spirit of St. Louis Airport in Chesterfield. I'm Don Mars. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU.